Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am so happy you are here with me today, and I have the coolest guest on today's show, who I know many of you know and love. Um, But before we get to all of that, I want to talk about an exciting partnership or two partnerships uh, that I have built to offer to you. So as you know, I only open up two spots per month for my L&D executive coaching which is a six-month intimate one-on-one container where I coach you how to have a strategic mindset around leading the learning and development function. So I am partnering with two amazing organizations uh, to make this experience even more fruitful for you. So the first is that when you join the executive coaching program, you will get access to the learning cluster design workshop. Uh, It's hosted once per quarter. And in this, uh, it's a two week of virtual learning experience co-facilitated by me, uh, where you'll learn the ins and outs of the learning cluster design model and actually leave with a learning cluster for an L&D challenge you are currently facing. The second partnership is that you will get six months access into Andy Storch's talent development think tank, where you'll have access to a network of hundreds of other talent development professionals, and we have a weekly networking and educational session. So I am personally a member of the talent development think tank, and in just a few weeks, I've learned so much, so you will get access into that. So I am super pumped, super excited to be partnering with both Learning Cluster Design and the talent development think tank on this. So if you are interested in signing up for executive coaching, you can schedule a free consultation call uh, by going to www.theovernighttrainer.com slash work dash with dash me. All right, on to today's show. I am so excited to have Jeff Lowndes on the show today. I know you are all super pumped about this. Jeff is an L&D partner and advisor working on the sales, learning, and enablement team at SNAP. During his career, Jeff has successfully built onboarding programs and run company-wide learning programs, all while coaching his peers and facilitating learning experiences. In addition to all of that, uh, Jeff is on the speaker scene. Uh, He is an L&D technology specialist and recently spoke at ATD's Technology Conference. Jeff, welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I know, you know, we've long time coming. We've been chatting for I think like over a year now. And, uh, you know, my, my best friend works along, alongside you in the same organization as you. So, uh, yeah. it's a, a long time coming for us to, to be chatting. So I'm really excited. I know people are going to be really, really pumped to hear your story and a little bit more about you. So, 
before we dive into kind of talking about our topic, which is you know, the L&D rules and which ones we should break, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. You know, like many who have come before you on the show, you didn't start your career initially in learning and development. You didn't grow up as a kid saying, when I grow up, I want to be in sales <laughs> enablement. No, <laughs> so no, I didn't. tell us a little bit about who you are, your journey, and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, Jeff Lowndes, as you all know, uh, I'm at Snapchat and in the L and D, uh, well, I'm in the kind of the learning pod of the sales enablement organization. So we sit outside of the, the internal L and D team, but, but yeah, I, I oversee all things global onboarding for our team, building out really a lot of the program from scratch, which has been really fun. And then since we're a really fast growing organization, just been doing a lot of other uh, fun programs, whether I'm helping facilitate, whether I'm program managing or, or just testing. Uh, so we're doing a bunch of things there, which is really fun. And um, yeah, my, my journey is an interesting one. Um, I was in sales, software sales for a, a good bit. And I found myself at Cornerstone On Demand, which a lot of learning people probably and HR people probably know. And I was selling, uh, you know, to learning development people uh, every day, uh, mainly learning and performance were the, the two big things I focused on. And, and I just realized that I loved um, all of the components of my role that, that had to do with enabling my teammates for success, far more than selling and far more than carrying a quota. So, uh, so the, the short of it is that I used my sales skills, had probably 40 informational interviews over the span of maybe six months, um, figured out where I wanted to go in learning and development. Um, and then just started, yeah, with that network and with others started trying to, to land myself a role and eventually, eventually got in. And so that's, uh, that's the short version. Um, but yeah, it's been a really fun journey. I love that. I'm going to deviate for a second. I told you I might do that, but you talked about having 40 different informational interviews, like what were, how did you pick who you wanted to talk to? Like, what were those like? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, although I had 40 conversations, I reached out to a lot, lot more uh, people than that. I had a Google sheet uh, that I, I maintained for a good bit. And now my network is kind of growing through. I just can't keep it up. But I, I would focus in on um, mostly people who'd been in L&D for a while so that they could have some experience to share with me. Um, and then I, I kind of hit on a couple areas of maybe like primary L&D people who are L&D managers, L&D directors. I tried to talk with people in organizational development, which I saw as kind of an offshoot or related. And then I tried to talk with a lot of uh, instructional designers as well. Um, and, and really try to map out, okay, where within this world do I want to, do I want to focus? And then, you know, I just, emailed a lot of people cold outreach. <laughs> I love that. I, <laughs> I love that. You know, it's, I, a lot of my one-on-one clients, like they'll, they'll message three people and be like, no one got back to me. And I was like, yeah, you got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, yeah. Because once it's... people do though, it's such like the people who do get back to you, I find it's such a fruitful conversation. So it's, it's worth yeah. all those people who didn't respond back, but I, yeah, uh, well, the, the people that respond back to you, are people you probably want to talk to because they're people who care enough about developing people that they'll do it with someone random, you know? And so, so now whenever someone reaches out to me to talk about my experience, talk about LND, I almost always say yes, if I can, uh, cause that's, that's how I was able to learn about the space and, and get in. 
I love that. So let's d- diving back into your previous experience. So you had experience outside of L and D working in sales. What prep prepared you the most to step into an L and D career? And then what also made the transition challenging based on your pre- previous experience? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, we just talked about it, but it was all those conversations with people where I got to learn the lingo um, of L&D, which helped in interviewing because I could use nomenclature that people wanted to hear. But then more importantly, I started asking like, okay, well, what is, what does your instructional design process mean? Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And I started identifying a whole bunch of transferable skills that I was already doing um, that allowed me to be able to articulate, Hey, I have been running a learning program, even though it wasn't an official LD program. And I was doing X, Y, Z. I was using the Addy model. I was able to measure this. Um, and I was able to land a role, not an entry-level role, um, without ever having, I think they asked for like four to five years of experience. And I, I technically had zero, but I, uh, and so just talking with people and, and connecting the, the transferable dots was really helpful. Um, and the, the, tra- the tough transition part was, hmm, what was hardest? Um, well, I, I couldn't go into an entry-level role because I had a family and need to kind of support for my family. So that was, that was hard. And then, um, well, people, people were looking for things on my resume that I didn't have. And so to overcome those conversations, I, I was weeded out of a lot of things right away. And so it probably made it harder than I, I mean, it took me, it took me like a year of, of applying and interviewing to finally land a specialist role somewhere. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, yeah, no, it, it does. And I think, you know, what's so interesting is you talked about like the transferable skills and almost was making me think too, about, you know, you were talking earlier about all those people who didn't get back to you and that you probably don't want the, you don't want those people anyways, you know, like you want ones you're going to get back to you. And it's, I say it to a lot with my clients of like you, if these companies are ghosting you or just completely like saying no that, and they can't see past the fact that you're a teacher in higher education or in sales and, and they're not able to connect the dots. Like you don't want a company like that anyways. Right. So it's like almost being weeded out in the moment. It feels pretty shitty to get like, you know, those rejections and those no's, but then (laughs) on the other end and you're like, Oh, I, you know, why would I want to be with a company who couldn't see my value that I bring to the table? So I think it's just an interesting kind of parallel between, between those two and, and just having that sales background, I mean, that's where my background came from too. And so just really being able to sell it, right? Like essentially yeah. just you're, you're selling yeah. yourself is what you're doing here and, and selling the fact that you've yeah. done these things. And I think that's where people struggle the most is like, how do I actually, I've done the job. How do I sell, sell doing it? So it's interesting to hear yeah. how you were able to do that. Well, I think also now that you're saying that it also brought up a good point that I have to do now in my L&D career a lot is I kind of have to like, I would have to bridge the gap for recruiters of you're looking for X, Y, Z. And let me tell you how I've done that. Um, let me tell you a story about how I've done that. They may ask, oh, like what's your instructional design process? And like, you know, I wasn't in L&D before, but I said, oh, well, let me tell you a story. And I have to do that now because subject matter experts, they're not going to come into L&D land. Like I have to bridge the gap for them and, you know, talk about 
how what their idea is or what their problem is can be solved in, in oftentimes a way they're not envisioning. And I have to kind of walk them through. So it, you know, what, what forced me to learn in interviewing, it, I do every day in my, my job anyways. I love that. I'll come to LND land. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So when we talked previously, so we talked a few weeks ago, we were just talking about like what we want to talk about on the show and a little bit about yeah. our past experiences. You said something that completely stood out to me. And I was like, this is what our, we need to talk about. <laughs> you said yeah. that it's important to know the learning and development rules. So you know, which ones to break. So I'd love for you to tell everyone what you mean by that. And what would an example of that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about it because, you know, it's, I think when I was getting into L and D as you're like, I was taking a lot of LinkedIn learning classes. I was reading a lot of books and I was talking to a lot of people and it kind of, what that does is it sets up these like pillars of this is what program should look like. This is what good learning looks like. And when I got into it, that's not what I was seeing uh, from myself or from a lot of people in the space. And I, you know, I called them rules when we talked before, we can call them whatever we want, best practices or what have you. But, but what I came to realize is that I often can't attain best practice in a lot of the things I'm doing. I'm having to like decide due to either a time constraint or a resource constraint. You know, if you're thinking in the project management, you know, triangle, you have like time, resources, and and was it money, I guess, is the Budget, other thing? Yeah. Budget. <laughs> like there's always short on something. And so, so you have to know what what you want to hold fast to for a given program, but then also where you can bend or or break a rule so you can still deliver something of value to people. Um, so that's kind of what, yeah, that that's been my experience and my my tension because I love rules. I love you know, expectations that I can just lean on. And that's like, oh, I have to change those constantly. That's yeah. That, it struck me. I, I'm quite the opposite. I like don't function well in rules. <laughs> just so um, funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is really yeah. funny. Even this weekend, I don't know, but I don't know who's listening to this, but even this weekend, my boyfriend and I went to Waco, Texas, where Chip and Joanna Gaines have their whole situation. We were meeting uh, <laughs> some of his coworkers there and they were doing, um, the whole place was doing a bingo tournament and you know, you could go to the different shops and you know get bingo. Yeah. And if you get bingo, you get a cupcake. So we were walking around. I, people are listening. You're probably like, what the hell is she talking about? But we were walking around <laughs> and we went to the first place. And one of the bingo card things said, you know, ask a uh, Magnolia worker what their favorite cupcake flavor is. So I was like, all right, I'll play along. I asked the Magnolia worker. I was like, okay. He told me, I said, okay, did you sign this? He's like, oh no, it's just not, like, you, you can just sign it. And then in that moment I was like, wait, there's no rules here. There's I could no literally rules. just sign these in the bingo order and go get my cupcake. And so, I mean, the rest of the people, people we were with played along with the rules, but the whole time I was just like, this is, we could I'm just going to do that. I could I'm be eating my get, cupcake. Right. Yeah. I could be eating a my cupcake. cupcake right now. I don't know what you all are doing. So, but you know, going back to, to L and D and how it relates to it always does, you know, it's just interesting because I think for so long, the industry was really ruled by rules and by models and theories and you know, picking one and sticking hard fast to it. And very few models worked even like with each other or, uh, or were aligned. And so you kind of almost had to also pick and choose, like, am yeah. I an Addy? Am I agile? Like, am I, like, yeah. do I use Kirkpatrick's? And so it's interesting how 
you know, almost boxed in you get, but to your point of knowing what it is and, and really understanding it to be able to say, okay, here's the Addy process. I'm really not going to get to I and E today, you know, or in this project, or, you know, I don't really have time for the, you know, development side as much as I would, I may have to outsource that or those type of things too. So it's just interesting to hear, you know, that perspective of the reality, the true reality that how often, unless we're in an academic setting, how often do we have the time, the resources or the budget to follow all of these to a T? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I, it's even like, I feel this is so funny because we're just like so wired differently. I'm like, uh, but we should talk about how good rules are in this podcast because I do think they're so important. Um, yeah, talk, we'll talk like about for them. Exam- but, but like, Take for that example, side, Jeff. Like, you know, <laughs> no, but oh, yeah, I know. It's like, let's have a debate now. No, um, but like, for example, you know, uh, there's a book that I highly recommend to anyone in LD who hasn't read it. It's called Make It Stick by Peter Brown. There's two other authors, but I can never remember the other two authors' names. But they talk about this term called durable learning. And it's not necessarily a rule, but but they talk about the neuroscience of learning. And, and durable learning is so helpful to learn about because it, it talks about all these different components that you'd want to have within a learning environment to make it really durable to last. And they talk about, you know, introducing strain or not making it like a necessarily an easy experience, like a little bit of friction is good. Uh, they talk about practice. They talk about repetition. They talk about where you want to have recall and so many things that when I read that, I'm like, okay, cool. The next thing I build, I'm doing all of this and, and I want to, um, but then, you know, you realize you only have like three weeks or something to deliver or, or what have you. And, but I think what's so great about knowing it is you can start to insert different little nuggets here and there. That's what I've been doing to make things more potent, to make things more powerful. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you can introduce a lot more things. So, so, you know, it's not like I'm negating every, every rule, but, but it's that, that trade-off and, and knowing the why behind why we do little things, um, I think does make you a lot better of a practitioner, but, but Yeah. Anyways, I, I love the thought there. I know we're kind of going off, but I, I like where we're going. I, I like the thought of being able to identify that, okay, I can't, I cannot apply all five of these based on rest, whatever restrictions I have, but yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to pick one or two. And it's interesting. I love that idea. And that's how I, so we've, we're aligned now, um, but yeah. <laughs> I, that's how I operate. And yeah. it's interesting before we started recording, we were talking about uh, Crystal Kadakia and her model. And I, I consult for her and, uh, I also help host workshops and it's very, uh, serendipitous that we're talking today. Cause we had a workshop this morning. And one of the things came up was about, you know, upgrading, you know, learning assets. And mm-hmm. one of the examples that we, we often use is like, speaking of, you know, looking for a home, right. You were talking about that before we recorded too, yeah. but you know, you could put your home on the market and you could, you know, completely renovate it and, you know, put in a hundred thousand dollars and hope to, you know, make some more money off of it. Or you could throw on a coat of paint. You could maybe refinish the floors instead of replacing them. That there's other things you don't have to do all, we call them the nine elements of modern learning. You don't have to do all nine to make it a great learning experience that maybe just painting the walls and refinishing the floors will get your home sold. You know, but we sometimes put so much emphasis in like, from excitement. And I think also from 
from, you know, it being there on paper saying, this is the model, follow the model that sometimes we yeah. feel that pressure to, to do all five things or all nine things where to your point, yeah. looking at it and saying, what are going to be the top two? They're going to make the most impact. So I, I love that. And if you like, think about it too, why, why do you think in the L and D world, we get so fixated on following like all those rules to a T like, what, are, what do you think is the reason behind that? I mean, it's, there's probably, I mean, there's a bunch of factors, obviously. I think, I do think people love, I do think people want to be the best they can be. And I do think, you know, to a certain extent, we, we must have taken our cues from academia, you know, to some degree and, and, and academia is scientific rigor is real and there are rules and there are processes and there are like, and that stuff is so valuable. And, and, I even think when I hear a lot about some of the early training departments that were based out of the government and like the army and the Navy and things like that, it's like the rules is very much a part of that culture. So I think it probably stemmed from a lot of those places. Um, and then naturally when you're scaling out, like, Oh, how, how should, how should ATD tell people how to do things? Like there needs to be to some degree, some rules and standards. And so I think it goes from there, but I think it's just a really interesting dynamic because I don't know the percentage of people, but a very high percentage of LD people do feel that tension of this is the model and then this is what actually happens. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a really interesting dynamic of, that exists at the education level of like when you get trained uh, to do something versus what it actually looks like. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, I was thinking about this, that you know, there's, you know, Mosher has the, you know, the five moments of learning need. And I think a lot yeah. of times the L&D rules that we have, and a lot of these frameworks work really well with the first moment of learning need of learning something new, but then mm-hmm. it's like the, where do I go when I have problems or have to, you know, relearn or yeah. you know, it, it goes, goes on from there. And I think that's where sometimes I'm just having this thought now of sometimes where, where those models don't necessarily align that when you're teaching someone mm, something new for the first time, some of these fit really, really well, but then as we're retraining or someone's run into a problem or there's a change, you know, a small change. And we kind of immediately go back and say, all right, well now we have to start over and like, okay, yeah. here's that one change versus saying, okay, how can we go in and upgrade mm. or, you know, look at it. maybe it's that we need a slack channel for this and don't need an actual training for it so it's yeah I, I think I find that that's where people struggle with breaking the rules is is beyond the the first time someone's learning something new well and it's it's a really interesting point you bring up um yeah shout out to Bob Mosher and, and all them over uh yeah five five learning moments moments yeah. we need um People should definitely check out their work. I, I think it's it's an interesting thing you bring up, and I'm actually not super versed in like their whole model. I couldn't rip off every all five stages, but when I think about the new stage, when someone's learning something new, it, they usually have the most time available to do it. If they have to relearn something, if they have to pull a resource, no one's going to go to a training for that because it's it's in the moment of need. And I I think that does like what you said it does break the the paradigm of what we probably think about most when we're building training. But I think it's also a really exciting space that our industry is moving towards that technology is enabling a lot of things. Like I just helped implement a digital adoption platform to help more kind of in the flow of need learning and, and resources and guidance. And 
And then you're seeing a bunch of really amazing technology pop up, like your Microsoft Teams, for example, where, where people are just trying to figure out how to help people learn things after the new phase. <laughs> so totally. So when you think about the L and D rules, like what would you say would be on your top list of an L and D rule that should never be broken? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a hard time thinking about this one when you'd mentioned it to me, because <laughs> I think a lot of the things get broken or bent. I mean, um, but, and I don't have, you know, my PhD, so I couldn't, I don't have like a library of models in my mind necessarily where there's like little things that could be broken, but you know, some of those common sense things like, yeah, I'm not going to have a, have a subject matter expert record a 45 minute video over a slide deck telling someone how to do something or like, I'm not going to slam people in, in an eight hour uh, onboarding session, continuous eight hours of learning, or, you know, I'm going to cater like breaks and time for people to think about what they're learning or practice to some degree. Um, you know, so there's some like fundamentals that I think always need to be there or else it's just a bad human experience. <laughs> like, I was just thinking <laughs> like, that's exactly what the, like the, your rule you're talking about is mine as well, which is don't forget that they're human. <laughs> like yes. and that it's, you know, keeping the learner, the learner in mind that this isn't about yeah. us. It's not about what we get to create or how beautiful it is or how nice it looks on paper or how amazing your 70 slide deck looks. It's, yeah. you know, about their oh, human man. experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like that is the, the core thing that, um, yeah, that, that I've processed a lot. I've been diving into design thinking a lot over the past few years and and just trying to take a more what they would call a human centered approach in, in how I design things. Um, so that, and that's more of like a principle almost than a rule. If we're going to play semantics, like that's almost yeah. just like a way of thinking um, that goes across models and rules, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of along the same lines, if you're thinking about someone who's brand new coming into learning and development, you know, what do you think is some baseline rules, tools, knowledge they should have, you know, coming into the industry? Yeah, I think, um, I think two of the things that helped me most were understanding the different instructional design processes. Um, so when a subject matter expert says, hey, we need this thing, um, you kind of have something to go off of to say how, how I'm going to take you from here to the end of the journey. And you can like adapt it or change it. And I think people can get that in a, a thousand different ways. There's plenty of books on, yeah, you can say Addy or Agile project management or, or you know, successive approximation model. But, but having that fundamental is a really great starting point because then you can actually give guidance to a subject matter expert. Hey, this is what the next like month's going to look like. These are the steps we're going to do. And this is why. Um, the other thing that's helped me a lot that I didn't get early on, honestly, enough of but I focused more on um, Kirkpatrick's and things like that, which are important. But I just started in the past couple of years learning a lot more about how humans learn. And I think that's been so helpful hearing like what I said, Make It Stick by Peter Brown, um, Wired to Grow by Britt Andrietta. Um, just hearing how humans learn things and, and retain knowledge has been so insightful um, and I, like, I just take nuggets from there all the time. A lot of the stuff that I post on LinkedIn, it's just, I'm learning something new and I'm like, oh, this is so helpful. Well, actually we kind of leads me to my next question of like, where do you go? Like, how do you stay caught up 
on everything. It sounds like you read a lot, which is awesome. But like, what, what's your, what's your tips, tricks, techniques for staying up to date? Yeah. I mean, I, I audio book a good amount. My wife always gives me crap. Cause I'm like, I, I read this book. She's like, did you read it or did you audio book? I'm like, I audio booked it, but it's still reading. I consumed it. Uh, no. So I, I, I audio book a lot. Um, yeah, there's some great podcasts out there. Like, like this one. Uh, there's also a couple other great podcasts, like the learning geeks. Um, so a couple guys from Accenture, um, and McKinsey who just are, have been in the field a long time. If you ask Betty's another great podcast. Um, yeah, books. And then LinkedIn's a big, a big one. Um, I have over time just followed uh, people I've engaged in the community. And in that I found people that just like curate my feed is like my LinkedIn feed. I try not to scroll it too much. <laughs> it's sometimes I do, but that is a, a big source of people sharing articles or sharing thoughts or things like that. I love that. I always say your network should work for you. You know, it's whether your job, if yeah. you're job hunting, when you come in, you should see people posting jobs. If you're there to learn, you know, should be seeing people who are, who you're learning from that it should really shouldn't just be a free for all of random people that if you curate it and I have a whole podcast episode about that, of like really making it work for you. So you're getting the most out of it, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about L and D leaders, what is your advice to L and D heads of L and D L and D leaders in general who are struggling to break some of those more antiquated rules, quote unquote, people can't see I'm quoting, but I am um, set <laughs> forth by those that have come before us, maybe from academia or even the military, you know, how do we, how, what's your advice for them to, to break free of some of that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something I've been doing is, is just running what I like to think of as small experiments. Um, David James, who's a CLO in, in the UK talks about, he uses the word experiments a lot. And I started tagging on to it. Like, can I try something, uh, know that it's okay if it fails and do it in a way that like, I don't have to get approval from anyone. I can kind of just like do it. And then if I gain value, I can then sell it in. Um, so like the, the small experiments and then, and then like just hearing anecdotes from other people who are trying new things. Like if you hear someone's doing something cool, call them, set up an informational interview and then you can then like, I do that with my leadership. I say, Hey, uh, I know this other company, this is what they've done. And these are the results. Like we should try this. And people can't be like, well, that that's not accurate. Like maybe not right now, but those anecdotes, like I feel like help me sell in things all the time. I love that. I think that goes back to like the importance of like having a solid network and you know being able to go places <laughs> yeah. to, to learn from, you know, like you wouldn't know that if you didn't, you know, scroll on LinkedIn or do some research yep. on, Hey, I saw this other company is trying this new technology. And I talked to so-and-so who's leading that there and they've had these results and that all comes from having that strong network and being able to, to lean on it, which is awesome. And so yeah. I'm so appreciative of all of this. I mean, this is so great. I think, I mean, we talked about my audience and it runs the gambit, but I think this episode will absolutely be on repeat for people who are new to L and D trying to get into L and D who have been in L and D. This has been so rich, the information that you've given us. So where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks by the way. It's been a super fun conversation and it's so funny. There's like a bunch of offshoots we could have just <laughs> dove down for 45 minutes. I know. <laughs> want to keep it short. Um, people, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can copy and paste my name from wherever you're seeing this and, uh, search it in LinkedIn. And 
theoretically. Like I, I haven't met too many other, or I haven't met any other Jeff Lowndes. So, uh, so I should come up there and feel free to connect or comment or anything like that. And yeah, we can chat. Awesome. Well, if any other Jeff Lowndes are out there, come, <laughs> come, come forward now, but uh, this Jeff Lowndes, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I know it's not the yeah. last time we will be chatting, uh, but I appreciate your time and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.